Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for being here this morning. And we continue our worship as Pebbles comes to read the scripture. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house. The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it, just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Luke 22, 7 through 20. Good morning. It is great to see all of you here today, particularly today. Wow, welcome to all of you as well as those of you joining us online. And uh, thank those of you in person for uh, making it on time this morning, uh, having your time set ahead, making it in spite of the weather today. It's great to have you here. A couple of things I'd like to mention before we get in the message today. First of all, our Lent emphasis is underway right now. Susan uh, Walker prayed some of the memory verses that we're asking you to uh, join us in memorizing each week as we go through what are known as the penitential psalms. And tonight, here in the sanctuary from 6.30 to 7, we're going to have a guided biblical meditation time for 30 minutes um, as part of this emphasis. So I'd invite you to join us tonight. This will be a very quiet, contemplative sort of time. Uh, meditating on scripture here in the sanctuary, guided by our own Brett Canode. So we invite you to that tonight. And then four weeks from today is Easter Sunday. And I want to let you know right now we can't fit everybody in Easter into two services here. Attendance on Easter goes up uh, by well over 50%. And uh, so we'll add a third service that day at 8 o'clock. We'll have one at 8, and then our regular times of 9, 15, and 11. And so I want to ask those of you who can to consider coming at 8 that day because we will have a lot of people who are not normally here coming at 9, 15, and 11. And if you'd be willing to worship at one service and serve at another, we will have to have children's ministries also at 8. So we'd love to have some of you serving in Noah's Ark or Kids Rock. Info on how you can help us in that way is in your bulletin, but that would be a huge help to us. We're excited because a lot of people are continuing to come back to church. Uh, we're seeing a lot of people here for the first time, and Easter, I think, we will particularly see that happening. 
want to mention that we're going to celebrate communion today. And some of you are wondering, didn't we just celebrate communion last week? Why in the world did we have it two weeks in a row? Some churches celebrate communion every week. But our reason for having the Lord's Supper again today is obviously the passage that Pebbles just read is the one where Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. And we're going to be talking about that this morning. In fact, this morning, we're going to see the link between the Jewish celebration of the Passover feast and the Lord's Supper. And I hope today we'll gain a new appreciation for what Jesus has done for us in the shedding of his blood and the giving of his body on the cross for us. But first of all, let's look back to the Passover celebration because the night when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he was celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples. So let's look back for a moment at the Old Testament book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible. What's happening in Exodus is this. The Israelites were slaves in Egypt. God had sent Moses to go to the Pharaoh of Egypt and to say, let my people go. Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not let the Israelites go. So through Moses... God brought about certain plagues on the land of Egypt as judgments. And the last of those, the last judgment that God decreed through Moses to Pharaoh was that on a particular night, the firstborn child in every home was going to die because they wouldn't let the Israelites go. But the Israelites would be spared from this judgment. They were to take an unblemished lamb, and this is what they were to do. You'll read the words from Exodus 12 on the screens. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head and its legs and its inner parts, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn in this manner. You shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. That is, the Israelites are about to be delivered from Egypt. Moses is going to lead them out. We continue, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Thus the Passover feast. I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. When I see the blood that you've applied to the doorposts of your house, I will pass over you. Some people wonder when they read through the Bible. Old Testament, they read about all these sacrifices and there's all this bloodshed, blood of animals being shed and temple worship. And then the New Testament, all this emphasis on the blood of Jesus. And some people are uncomfortable with that. In fact, a number of... uh, in recent decades, a number of, of 
mainline denominations have taken some of the hymns that refer to blood out of their, their hymn books because some find it distasteful or, or speaking of violence. It's extremely important to understand the significance of blood in the scripture. A foundational verse is found in the, in the book of Leviticus chapter 17. That's the book of the Bible where we read a great deal about animal sacrifices being offered to atone for human sin. And there's a foundational verse in the book of Leviticus that addresses this question. Why did God require the shedding of blood? And I think the answer is very simply that it was God's mercy. God had decreed in the very beginning to Adam and Eve the, if you don't eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat of the free of that tree, fruit of that tree. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Sin will lead to death. Later, the prophet Ezekiel said, "The soul who sins shall die." And in the New Testament, we read, "The wages of sin is death." But here in Leviticus, we read God saying this: "For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you." on the altar to make atonement for your souls or for your lives. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. In other words, rather than calling for the life of the sinning human being, God allowed that judgment to fall on an animal. This is a concept that's extremely important to understand in Scripture. It's the idea of substitution substitution. The animal whose blood is shed atoning for the human life. And so throughout scripture we see these sacrifices being offered. And before the Israelites are even led out of Egypt in beginning this system of sacrifices we find in the book of Leviticus God has them applying this blood of a lamb over the doorpost and then judgment passes over them because of the blood of an unblemished lamb that has been applied to their households. The Passover feast was to be celebrated in the way God prescribed with this unleavened bread indicating haste, the haste with which they were going to leave Egypt and the bitter herbs reminding them of their bitter slavery in Egypt and um, the, the, the lamb that would be roasted. They were to celebrate this feast to remember the faithfulness of God, but it also brought to mind the substitution of the unblemished lamb, whereby they were spared from judgment as judgment passed over them. Now, with that background in mind, many years later, Jesus is celebrating the Jewish feast of the Passover. Good Jews remembered to celebrate the Passover feast. As you read the Old Testament, there were times of spiritual decline when the Israelites failed to keep the Passover. But when spiritual renewal came, one of the first things that happens is they reinstitute the Passover feast. So important was it in their history. And so on this particular night, as Pebbles read just a moment ago, Jesus gathers in an upper room with his disciples, and he says, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And they're sharing the Passover celebration, the Passover meal together, and then Jesus does something remarkable.
here at the Passover feast, he institutes what we call the Lord's Supper. And he takes the bread and he gives thanks for it and he breaks it and he gives it to them and says, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he takes a cup after they'd eaten and he says, this cup that's poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And he has them drink of the cup. Now perhaps they were surprised then they knew about the blood of animals being sacrificed, but now their Lord, the one they expected to come and set up his great kingdom on earth and overthrow the Roman rule, the one who is to be their king and lead the kingdom, now he's talking about the spilling of his own blood. Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. So with those two things in mind, let's look at a little more deeply at this, this link between the Passover and the Lord's Supper and the shedding of Jesus' own blood. If you follow along uh, either online or with the print bulletin, this is where we pick up with the printed part there. First of all, once again, we recall that Passover required the blood of an unblemished lamb so the Lord would pass over Israelite homes. And we read later in Exodus 12, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. So thus again, the name Passover, the blood of the sacrifice, the substitute in judgment would pass over the ones who believed God's word and acted with the application of the blood. Beautiful linkage to what we're taught in the New Testament about what Jesus did for us in a critically important passage here is 1 Corinthians chapter 5 because it's here the Apostle Paul very specifically tells us that Christ is our Passover lamb. In 1 Corinthians 5, the setting of that passage is this. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, and he's kind of giving them a rebuke here because they allowed a very flagrant form of immorality to be openly practiced in the church, and they had not addressed it. And that's the context in which Paul makes these remarks. And here when he talks about leaven, he's talking about the fact that a little bit of leaven can influence a whole lump of dough. You know, the leaven is that stuff. I think that it makes the, the dough to rise. You put a little bit of leaven in a batch and the dough will rise. I see some of you who know how to cook shaking your heads a little bit there. Now, Paul says, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? And then he writes, cleanse out the old leaven. And here he's using leaven to refer to, to sin. That you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Christ, our Passover lamb, he's the unblemished lamb, the one who knew no sin, the one who was entirely without sin. Jesus, the Son of God, God the Son, the Savior, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the festival, the feast, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. You see what he's saying there. 
Jesus has been sacrificed, so now we live. We celebrate the fact that Christ has come as our Passover lamb, and we live not with a leaven of continued practice of sin, malice, and evil, but we live with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. We live holy lives out of gratitude for what he's done for us. And then thirdly, the Lord's Supper now looks back to Jesus' death for us and at the same time looks forward to his return. As we often read when we take the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, Jesus, as he gave his own disciples that bread and that cup, said, as often as you drink this bread and drink the cup, you're doing something. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There's something significant about the Lord's Supper we don't talk about quite as, quite as much as we talk about what he did, and that is the fact that he's coming back. In the Lord's Supper itself, there is a reminder that he's coming again. Jesus is coming. That's a wonderful thing for those who are his. We will be caught up in the air to be with him, and forever we will be with the Lord who has already gone to prepare a place for us, those who are his. But for those who don't know him, that will be a time of the outpouring of the wrath of God upon this world. But for those who know Jesus as Passover lamb, just like with the Passover of old in the book of Exodus, judgment passes over them. They're not partakers of judgment. They're partakers of God's salvation, of God's grace. So the Lord's Supper looks back and it also looks ahead. Now you may be wondering, some of you who've been to a Passover Seder, is it, is it wrong to go to a Passover Seder today since we have the Lord's Supper? Not at all. I've been to a Passover Seder before and I, I believe it was led by some of our missionaries uh, in Israel years ago. It's a wonderful way to reflect on uh, the Jewish tradition there, and there's much to be learned from it. We just remember, though, that the Messiah has come. Christ, our Passover, has come. Jesus has come, and he is, in the words of Paul, our Passover lamb. Now, one thing that ties together the Passover in which the blood of the lamb was shed for the um, Israelites back in Egypt. And the Lord's Supper for us is that each reflects on the shedding of blood. In the Passover, it was an unblemished lamb. And with the Lord's Supper, it's the pouring out of Jesus' own blood for us in his sacrifice on the cross. And again, it's troubling for some people to think about that. I, I, I'm amazed that some have actually taken hymns about the blood of Jesus out of their hymn books. Because if you take the message of the shedding of Jesus' blood out of the gospel, you've taken something from the very heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus shed for believers accomplishes far, far, far more than any sacrificial lamb could have ever accomplished in the shedding of its blood in ancient Jewish history. Now you may be wondering, okay, we see that, that's important. 
it's a great theological truth to grasp, but does it have any practical relevance for my life, my daily life? And I think it absolutely does. It is critically important to understand what the blood of Jesus does for a believer in Jesus. And the Bible is filled with teaching about this. And before we close, that is, before we take the Lord's Supper, I'd like to briefly look at that. Because I think it's critical to understand the significance of the blood of Jesus if we are to walk in the liberty and the peace and the purity of conscience that Christ has provided for us. So let me briefly share just a few benefits for believers from the blood of Jesus that's been shed. We find it throughout the New Testament. This is not an exhaustive list. This, these are just a few. First of all, redemption, the forgiveness of sins. As the Apostle Paul writes, in him we have redemption, how? Through his blood. The word redemption conveys the idea that someone paid something for something or for someone. And in our case, we have been redeemed through the blood of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, purchased to God, obtaining the forgiveness of our sins. And notice this is not merely future. This is present tense. In him, in Christ, we have. We have redemption through his blood. Now, while we still do stumble in sin, there's no longer any need for a sacrifice for sins because Jesus' blood has covered our sin forever. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, the Apostle John says. We have redemption. Furthermore, we have justification. Paul writes, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore, we've now been justified. How? By his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. To be justified means God has made a declaration that you are just or righteous. To be justified means to be declared righteous by God. Justification is an act of God whereby he declares a guilty sinner to be righteous on the basis not of what we've done, but what Jesus did. We've been justified by his blood. Therefore, on that day when the wrath of God is poured out upon this world and its iniquity, when Jesus returns, we're saved. We're spared, just as the Israelites were spared from judgment by the blood of a lamb. Most important decision a person can make in this life is to be sure you are redeemed and justified by the blood of Jesus. Thirdly, and this one I think is a tremendous practical relevance for us as believers, a benefit of the blood of Jesus is the promise of a pure conscience. The writer of Hebrews says, if the blood of goats and bulls, and, and, and he's reflecting on all these Old Testament sacrifices that the priest offered so people could come into the presence of God to worship him. If the blood of these animals uh, sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more, how much more 
will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, he was the unblemished lamb, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Any of you ever struggle with a guilty conscience, a condemned conscience for something you've done? I have. I have. Where you know you've confessed something in your past, but it comes back to your mind again and again and again and again, and the weight of it makes you feel sometimes unworthy of God's grace or his blessing or less than worthy to do something he's called you to do. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The the beauty and the importance of having a purified conscience is that it liberates us to serve God with gratitude and with joy. If you're living under a guilty conscience, it's difficult to serve God with liberty and joy. And so the solution, if something keeps coming back on our minds that we've already confessed to God and we know intellectually that God has forgiven us for that, the solution is to apply the benefits of the blood of Jesus Christ. And sometimes it's important to just say aloud, the blood of Jesus Christ has remedied that for me. I have been redeemed. I have been justified. I've been liberated from my past. And the blood of Christ has brought about a pure conscience for me. One reason we need to do this is because we have an adversary. As Peter said, your adversary, the devil, goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And one of the benefits for believers from the blood of Christ is victory over Satan. Victory over Satan, as you will see on these verses on the screen. There we go. The book of Revelation. We read these words. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of our Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been cast down, who accuses them day and night before God. The accuser is Satan. This passage is a description of the devil, Satan, being cast down from heaven. And while I don't believe he's any longer in the immediate presence of God, he retains his nature as the accuser of our brothers. One of the things he does in his war against believers, which this passage goes on to describe, is he accuses us. But John writes, and they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives unto the death. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're serving God, There will be times in your life when you face spiritual warfare, spiritual opposition. It may come in any variety of ways, but as a believer in Jesus, you have the right to proclaim 
what the blood of Jesus Christ has done for you. I'll sometimes just declare aloud when I feel that I'm facing some type of demonic or spiritual opposition, just declare aloud what the blood of Jesus has done for me and declare that Satan has no place in me, no power over me, no unsettled claims against me because all has been settled by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's often helpful to say that aloud. Remember when Jesus was tempted, he spoke the word of God to the devil himself. Benefits for believers from the blood of Christ. Victory over Satan. Other benefits for the believer from the blood of Jesus is being part of the one body. 1 Corinthians focuses a lot on the oneness of the body of Christ. And the Apostle Paul weaves this in and out of much of his teaching. In chapter 10, he, he's actually talking about another subject, uh, whether a believer should eat or drink food that's been sold in the marketplace and already been offered to, to idols and worship. But he, he makes this point here, the, blood of, the cup of blessing that we bless, and I think here he's talking about the Lord's Supper. Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? When you take the cup, when you take communion, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one bread. We who are many are one body and we all partake of the one bread. I think what Paul is saying here is that when we take communion, we're not only proclaiming that we are believers in Jesus and we have received the benefits, the spiritual benefits of his, of his body, of his blood shed on the cross for us, but we are also declaring that we're part of the one body. This is the spiritual body, the body of Christ. And if you're a believer, when you take communion, you're also declaring, I'm a member of the one body. One body with all the others around me and all the others in the world who are believers in Jesus. You have a spiritual family. You have the one body. Part of that body is in many different nations of the world. And one day we'll all stand before God's throne from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. All true believers in Jesus. And then finally, being part of God's eternal kingdom. <clears throat> As we read in the book of Revelation, they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll <clears throat> and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth, members of God's eternal kingdom. And so, I hope when you take communion in the future, as we're about to do in a minute, that you'll reflect a little more deeply on what's happening. And maybe your mind will go all the way back to that Passover feast where the Lord said, when I see the blood, judgment is passed over. Or maybe that upper room where Jesus was meeting with his disciples during a Passover feast. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup. Uh, drink of it, all of you. This is the new covenant in my blood. 
And I hope you'll not only look to the, the past benefits, the salvation he secured, but the present benefits of the blood of Jesus. The fact that you have redemption through his blood. The fact that you have been justified, declared righteous. That there has been provided for you, if you are truly in Christ, a pure conscience washed by the blood of Jesus. And that you've been made part of the one body, the forever family from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. And you will have eternity with him. And you'll look to the second coming because he is coming again. The Apostle Paul, in teaching the church communion, wrote these words. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, what do you do? You proclaim the Lord's death until when? Until he comes. He will come again. Then Paul gives a warning. And the warning is given so that no one take this without a genuine faith in Jesus as some mere religious ritual that you just do because you happen to be on a in a church on Sunday morning, but that you've genuinely put faith in Jesus and that you, you discern the whole body of Christ. You're not living with animosity toward another member of that body. And so Paul warns us, therefore, not to eat or drink the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner without discerning the body and blood of the Lord, but to examine ourselves and eat of the bread and drink of the cup, to discern the body, not to take it wrongly. So I'd like to take a moment now in prayer and silence for us to prepare ourselves to take the Lord's Supper. And if you have never put your faith in Jesus or you're not certain whether you're a Christian, Today would be a wonderful day to take that step. If you are sincerely prepared to turn from your sin and to turn to the Lordship of Jesus who paid for your sin, who paid for your redemption, who prayed, paid for your justification, and to humble yourself before him and invite him to be your Savior and Lord. But let's first pray and then we'll celebrate communion. And by the way, our ushers have uh, trays with communion elements and if you need one, if you don't have one, if you just raise your hand, they'll bring one by to you while we are praying. Father, we come now in the name of Jesus. Prepare us to take this holy thing we call communion, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist. Lord, prepare us to take it rightly in your eyes. Thank you so much, Lord, for liberating us from judgment not because we were worthy, but because worthy is the lamb who was slain, who redeemed us by his blood. Prepare us to take us rightly now, Lord.